and we hope you like today's message. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. We uh, are going to be looking at the last part of uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 34, and this is Jesus' last teaching to a public audience, and so we know it's bound to be important. Uh, what we know about human nature and uh, our humanity is that when we know the end is coming, we tend to be um, even more uh, calculated, profound, whatever word you want to use there. We use our time uh, with just a little bit more intensity uh, and intention. And, and so Jesus is going to be giving us a pretty important teaching as we look at this last part of Mark chapter 12. And what Jesus does is he follows a pattern that we've seen him use throughout uh, this gospel. We see him give a teaching uh, and a correction uh, of a a misunderstood idea. And then we see him give really an object lesson uh, to illustrate the point that he makes. And so this morning, uh, that's what we're going to be looking for. Uh, And as we begin, uh, I would love if you would pray with me. So close your eyes and bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, you are good and you are kind to us. Your mercy is is new each and every day, and you extend uh, yourself out to your people and to a a world that doesn't even deserve you. But God, you choose to love us. You give us so much of yourself, even uh, more than we could ever think or imagine. So Father, as we open your word, I ask that my words uh, would not get in the way. I ask that your word would be elevated above all else, that it would do the work that only it could do, and where I need to be quiet, where I need just to let your words uh, resonate in people's hearts and souls, that I would be willing to step out of the way. Father, I thank you for how you are, are leading and guiding our church, and I ask that you would continue to be the one we seek most often, the one that we seek above all else, that we would continually put ourselves aside and that we would see you in all that you're doing. So Father, be with us as we open your word and would it bring about life change that you would have for us today. We pray all these things in your name, amen. So let's read through the text and then begin to unpack it, starting in verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, and so he is his son now. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogue and the place of honor at feast, who will devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty 
has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And this is perhaps a familiar passage. Some of you might know uh, the latter portion with the widow. Uh, but before we really get into the meat of today's um, uh, scripture, what I want you to do is I want you to look back at verses 35 through 37. And what Jesus is doing is he is declaring that he is the son of God. What he's doing, he's saying, this one that David talked about, uh, the one who, uh, he's saying, he, the words were, the Lord said to my Lord. So David is recounting, and he's saying, uh, Jesus is recounting David's words, and what he's saying is, uh, I'm the Lord that, G- that David is talking about. I'm the one. And he is, uh, what he's really doing, he's saying, I am a part of the Davidic line, but I am not David's son. In fact, I'm the one who is above David. I'm the one who authorized David to be who he said he would be. Uh, I'm the one uh, who ordained that David uh, would be the king of Israel. And so Jesus is saying, uh, that's my role. I sit above David. I am, uh, David was great, but I am greater. You see, Jesus often is referred to as the greater uh, such and such. So uh, when we look at the Old Testament, we see that he's the greater Abraham. We see that he's the greater Isaac. We see that he's the greater uh, Solomon. We see that he's the greater, you put a name there, and he was the greater one. And so in this case, he is the greater David. David was uh, absolutely a servant of, of God, but Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of what David was meant portray to the people. And so that's what we see here. And so Jesus is saying, I am the one you should be listening to. And then he quickly moves in verse 38 and says, beware of the scribes. These are the ones who uh, had been in charge. You see, because throughout chapter 12, he has endured testing at the hands of scribes or the teachers of the law. And in today's passage, he rebukes them. And he rebukes them for their hypocritical ways. You see, that was a word that everyone in Jesus' day knew, and even we knew. We know. But I think it helps to just be reminded that the word hypocrite in the Greek means simply two-faced. And it was an allusion to the Greek actors and the fact that they would hold up a mask. And they would purposely be deceiving. And in the sense of an actor, it was for the part of a play. But when that title was attributed to you, uh, what someone was saying is, you're putting up a falsehood. You're not just doing something wrong because you don't know better. You're purposely misleading people. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That the scribes and teachers of the law were being hypocrites. And so this whole passage centers on that idea of confronting our own hypocrisy. And Jesus rebukes them for uh, their long robes and uh, their, their pretense of prayer and the way that they would take uh, from the widows who were the most destitute in their society. And he goes on and he illustrates the point uh, with the story uh, of the widow, but As we unpack it, here's what I want us to do. I want us to see how we each need to take uh, our own test to see whether or not we're being hypocritical. To see whether or not we can 
pass the test of, of hypocrisy. That we wouldn't fall into the same trap. Because it's easy, oftentimes it's even laughable to say, I would never act that way. But when we really confront it, we find that we oftentimes act that way more than we want to admit. And so Jesus' first point here, the first thing he says is, uh, in verse 38, they like to walk around in flowing robes. And what we can gather from that for our own day is, are we obsessed with our own appearance? So that's really that first part of the test. Are we obsessed with how we appear? You see, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they liked to, be, uh, to look good. And they like to be seen while looking good. And we know historically that they favored fine white linen robes when everyone else had colored ones. And the reason they wore the white was because it showed their wealth and they showed uh, how much they could afford. And so uh, we have to ask the question, are we doing the same sorts of things with how we appear? You see, there's nothing wrong with being in style. There's nothing, that's not what Jesus is condemning. What he's condemning is our desire to impress someone more than Christ himself. You see, we have to ask the question, do I care more about the opinion of others more than I care about the opinion of God? You see, it might be... Uh, fine to, to be seen wearing the finest clothing, uh, but if our desire is that others would see us and uh, that, they would want, that they would want to be us, that could become an issue. You see, uh, we might be projecting a front in our Instagram culture, in our uh, social media curated lives, but we oftentimes project the very best of us, and we don't let people see the things that are broken about our lives, the things that are uh, still being worked together by God. And when we do that, we're saying, I care more about your opinion than God's opinion. Because if I allow someone to see the brokenness in me, here's what I can guarantee. They will be more attracted to my Jesus. And I don't make that statement lightly. You see, people will absolutely applaud our wins. They will uh, applaud when we look good, uh, but they will resonate in our hurt, in our brokenness. They will resonate in our failure. And when we allow people to see that, and then we're able to say, even so, my God is still good. I might be hurting, I might be dealing with something I don't want to be dealing with, but even so, my God is still good. So do we care more about how we look to others than how we look to our Savior? That's the first question. And then secondly, we have to ask this, do we care more about our status than anything else? Verses 38 and 39, it says they like to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at banquets. You see, these people thrived on the attention of others. They not only like to look good, they like to be seen. They like to be noticed, admired. They like to be called teacher, rabbi, master. You see, they sat right up front next to the Torah. They sat right where everyone would be looking as they were in synagogue. 
And was it because they wanted to learn? No. You see, they wanted to be seen by everyone else. They wanted the place of honor wherever they went. They sought out respect from all people at the cost of respecting themselves and respecting God. And I think this is a temptation for anyone who is respected by others, especially those in some sort of leadership position, whether in the church or just in the community at large. You see, because the temptation becomes, I need to maintain this. I can't look a certain way to the people. It's just what I said before, that we have to let people see our brokenness because that's where people resonate with us. And so uh, we need to be asking the question when it comes to status, am I serving so others will respect me? Am I serving so that others will see me a certain way? Or am I serving in order that I might actually help people? Or do we want to let it go to our heads and maintain an image of perfection? You see, we need to care not about our status in front of other people, but our status in front of our God. And so as we consider what is our status, it leads us very naturally into our third kind of test marker. And that's, do I fake it spiritually? You see, uh, the scribes and Pharisees in verse 40, it says, and for a show, for a show, that word should stop us, they make lengthy prayers. There's nothing wrong with a long prayer unless it's for show. And sometimes uh, my prayers, I feel like, go far too long. But it is truly what is on my heart. And when I I realize, oh man, there's other people here. I should probably just stop talking. That's an okay thing. If that happens to you, don't don't be worried about that. If you are praying and God is moving you in a specific way, go for it. But my question is this. Do you have a special voice and style that you use for your public prayers? Maybe to sound more religious? As a a young student at a Bible college, it would always, uh, and it's sad to say, it would make me laugh when I heard people uh, who would use some of that language. Because it was very obvious that uh, what they were doing was trying to sound more spiritual. And perhaps they were growing in it, and I can't judge them, but it always caught me up. And it was always something that I noticed because I would look at their prayer and the words they're using, and I'd look at their life and say, there's a disconnect. There's something not matching up here. You see, uh, we have to constantly be asking ourselves, are we faking it spiritually? We have to ask the question, is the only time I'm willing to pray and pray in front of other people for sure, but maybe even just pray in general, is the only time I'm willing to do that, is that at church? Is the only time I think about Scripture, the one hour a week I sit in a church? Or maybe it's the two hours between church and the Bible study I go to. You see, we have to ask ourselves, are we faking it spiritually? Because the last thing I would want you to do is to fake it spiritually. Because what we see is we, I think what happens is we see the, uh, the effect 
but we miss the cause. And so we think that if we just get the effect, everything else will look okay. If I can just look good enough, if I can just perhaps be put together enough, everything else will be okay. But we are missing the cause. Uh, So when we see someone who is spiritual, who is growing in grace, who is looking more like Jesus, we say, I want to do the things they're doing. But I would, uh, I would affirm and I would, uh, I would challenge you to think, uh, why are they growing in grace? Why is their life more grace-filled today than it was before? Why do they look more like Christ? Why are their prayers so vibrant? Uh, and I can always tell you what it's going to be. Jesus. They've had a real encounter with Jesus. Their reality is conformed to his truth. It is not about what I think. It is about what he says. When he says something is true, I believe it. You see, that's what our faith is meant to do. It's meant to bring us into a right relationship with him. Not just uh, person to person, but realities become uh, uh, properly aligned. Because beforehand, what happens is, uh, I think my life is one way. I'm an okay person. And when I encounter Christ, here's what he says. You're broken apart from me. But there's good news. You can jump on my path. But the problem is we oftentimes stay on our path and we just try and fake it till we make it. And Jesus is saying, stop doing that. He's warning the scribes and he's warning those who are listening, don't do what they're doing. Follow me. I'm the son of God. Just follow me. That's all you have to do. And then he says, there's one more test. So he says, uh, how are you looking? Do you care about your status? How's your spiritual life? And then he says, if you really want to know, if you really want to check your heart, check to see if it's full of greed. See where your money is going. In verse 40, he says that they devour widows' houses. And the reason he uses that language is because in their day and age, the the widow was the most destitute. She might have had her dowry from before she was married, but that was all she would really have. She wouldn't have a whole lot to support herself. And so when she wanted to honor a teacher of the law, what she would do is oftentimes she would bring bring in one of these teachers for a meal. She would honor them that way. But what the scribes and Pharisees had done was they had become abusive of this practice. Because uh, the widow wouldn't have uh, wanted to, to kick this scribe, this rabbi master out. She, wouldn't, uh, she would have been respectful of him and they would have stayed, uh, what, they had made a practice of staying well beyond their welcome. And their hearts were full of greed because if somebody else was taking care of them, They didn't need to take care of themselves. They didn't need to go and work to do uh, many uh, of the things that that God had called them to do. And so as we in our modern day, I think we can easily do that. We don't have the same practice of inviting people in, uh, of sharing meals in the same way that they did. Uh, But if you want to see if your heart is full of greed, it's pretty simple. Look at your credit card statements. Look to see where you're putting your money. Uh, are you giving, uh, are you being generous with it the way Christ has called us to be generous? 
Are, are we spending time hoarding for ourselves for the moment? Or are we building into kingdom things? And that's not to say that you don't get to have nice things. It's not to say you don't get to enjoy your life. Absolutely. God does not condemn wealth. He condemns greed. And I want to make that very clear that it is not a sin to be wealthy. It is a sin to be greedy. And there's a big difference there. Because with my wealth, I can go and I can use it uh, to help others. I can use it to do all the things Scriptures has commanded me to do. But in my greed, I break every one of God's commandments about generosity, about building his kingdom. I do all sorts of things that benefit me and me alone. And so what I want you to hear is not that wealth is bad, but greed is bad. Counter to the logic that our world has, seemed, uh, has been stating, uh, Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street says, greed is good and how wrong is he? What a terrible statement. You see, a heart full of greed uh, immediately reveals that our hearts are not where we're supposed to be. And so, as we consider what the scribes and Pharisees are doing, we see that they loved uh, looking a specific way. We see that they pined for popularity and prominence and priority. They wanted to be greeted by all. They wanted the best seats. They wanted the, the best places. And they wanted others' possessions. They devoured uh, the widow's offerings and their tributes to them. And they had a mock piety. Uh, they prayed prayers not to honor God, but to honor themselves. And Jesus says, if you love these things and you go after them in the name of religion, you will be punished most severely. There's greater condemnation there for them. And so we have to ask the question, are we doing the same things? Are we seeking possessions and piety, mock piety? Are we looking for prominence and priority among others? If so, uh, we need to encounter a God and we need to say, God, I want you to change me. And the, the easy way to do that, there's one simple way. Keep it real. Pursue authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. When you come face to face with the God who has stepped out of heaven and given up everything and you say, that's the God I serve, and you say, I want to look more like him, you're naturally going to start to act more like him. He gave up his position and priority and stepped out of heaven and said, uh, let me come into the poorest of places. Let me step into the mess. And if we do the same thing, how much better uh, would we be? And what Jesus does is he illustrates this point of being authentic with one more story. He walks into the, the court of women, uh, one of the outer courts where uh, all Jewish women could go. And what we see is um, we see them sit down and Jesus tells his disciples, watch what's going to happen. Just watch. And as they watched, several people came through and they would drop bundles of coins into the offering bucket. And you can imagine uh, the people looking and watching this. People would have been uh, uh, enamored by how much they were giving. It would actually would have made a, a, a real sound 
in order for uh, the people to, uh, to be able to hear what's happening. And so they would drop it with some, some enthusiasm, I would say. And then Jesus is there with the disciples and he's saying, watch, watch what happens. And a widow walks up. She walks up and she drops in her two cents. She drops in her two coins. And Jesus said, she's done it better than everyone else. Why? Because she gave everything she had. And in our day and age, we might be quick to judge and say, why did she not plan ahead? Why did she not think uh, about what she had coming her way? And it's for one simple reason. She valued God above all else. And she is honored by Christ himself. You see, if there's one person to be honored by, it's him. If there's one person to be commended by, wouldn't you want it to be your Savior? You see, she understood what it meant to give everything in order to gain, uh, gain her Savior. She was just being faithful to what God had called her to do. And in her generous gift, we see that she tops everybody else in terms of kingdom math. You see, in verse 43, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And so my question is this, where is your heart today? Can you answer, can you answer the question of, uh, of loving Jesus above all else? Can you say that that's truly where you are? Uh, Augustine said Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. You see, that's what, uh, what we need to be able to say is that I value Christ above everything else in my life. And we make idols out of all sorts of really good things, but the problem is they're still not better than Christ. If you were to come and talk to me on any given day, my kids are probably a higher priority in my life than Christ. I love watching my little boys. I love watching them interact. I love watching them uh, learn and grow. And sometimes I love them more than I love Jesus. And some days it might be a, a video game that I'm really enjoying. How stupid is that? that I would prioritize a game over my Savior. And so as I look at this passage, I'm challenged because I don't give out of my, I don't give out of my abundance. I give out of my scraps. I do what the rich in this story did. I do what the scribes did. I have a heart full of hypocrisy far too often. And so, I'm challenged by this passage, and I hope that you are too, because in the challenge, there is great hope for us. When we can recognize that we are being challenged by this passage, we can make a correction with Christ. We can see what he has called us to. And so if we're honest, I would hope that we would all be able to admit that we have hypocritical moments in our life, at least every now and again. We get caught up in our looks, in our status. At times we care more about the people's opinions or the size of bank accounts than we do about God and what He is doing. And today we are reminded God cares most importantly about our hearts. 
He cares about that above all else. You see, God wants all of us, and he wants us to be authentic in our relationship with him. He doesn't want us to have the effect, but never the cause. And so as we consider the fact that this was Jesus' last teaching, his very last visit to the temple, we have to take this story seriously. He elevates this woman who for no other reason would be elevated. But Jesus looks and says, she loves the Father the way that you should love the Father. She loves him with everything she has. You go do likewise. This is the last teaching that the Son of God would share in a public setting. And so until uh, we meet him face to face, would we dedicate ourselves to our Father in the same way? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, where, where we have messed it up, God, where I have messed it up, where I have built an idol out of something that is a great gift, but it is not the ultimate one. God, where I've made an idol out of the, something you have given me and not put you above all else, would you forgive me? And God, would that be the, the heart of our church, where we have made idols out of, out of movements, where we have made idols out of political ideologies on all sides, where we have made idols out of uh, our work and our position and our authority, where we have made an idol out of our jobs and our bank accounts, would you break our hearts uh, to see that none of them matters more than you? God, would we honor you with everything that we have? Would we give out of our abundance, not out of our, uh, our reserves? Would we give everything we have in order to honor you? Would we value you above all in order that our lives would reflect you more greatly, that others would be drawn to you through our actions, not because of us, but because we look and we act more like you each and every day. Father, as we continue in, in the gospel of Mark, would you prepare our hearts for uh, your journey to the cross? Would we contemplate them, uh, those last days and the final steps, all the more? God, be with us as we continue to, to look at your word week in and week out. Be with your people wherever they meet today. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.